Welcome to Never Again is Now, a podcast about anti-Semitism. In today's episode, we will discuss anti-Semitism in the music industry. I'm Evelyn Marcus, and in addition to being a psychologist, I am featured in the documentary about anti-Semitism, Never Again is Now. I am a Dutch Jew and the daughter of Holocaust survivors. In 2006, I immigrated to the United States because of the rising anti-Semitism in Europe. I am Phyllis Nimbler Miller, the founder of the free nonfiction Holocaust theater project, thenedgethewedge.com. I grew up in the Midwestern town of Elgin, Illinois, where our parents and grandparents had come to the United States to escape the czar and other programs. And yet in 1970, only 25 years after the end of World War II, my U.S. Army officer husband and I found ourselves stationed in Munich, Germany, and it changed our lives forever. Winston Marshall is a British musician, songwriter, and podcaster. He was the former banjoist and lead guitarist of the British folk rock band Mumford & Sons. With Mumford & Sons, he has won multiple awards, including a Grammy. He has been credited as the father of the new folk scene in Britain. He left the band after he started to openly express his opinion about current affairs in society. In his podcast, Marshall Matters, for the renowned British political magazine, The Spectator, he explores, quote, the taboo and totemic issues within the creative industries in a series of interviews with artists, musicians, actors, comedians, and more. Close quote. Winston, it's wonderful to have you on our show. Welcome. Ladies, Evelyn, Phyllis, thank you so much for the invitation. A pleasure to speak with you both. So our show is all about speaking up against anti-Semitism and you are such a great role model on speaking up in general. Um, can you please share with us what happened when you were still at Mumford and Sons and started to, only, to openly speak your opinion? Uh, what were you openly speaking about? What were the reactions? What were the choices you made? Well, as you have described, I was a co-founder of the band Mumford & Sons, which we formed in 2007 and uh, which uh, we enjoyed 14 wonderful years together and um, made, made some records I'm very proud of, four albums and several EPs. And uh, had the good fortune of touring the world, and it was my my childhood dreams come true—a wonderful experience and and a project I I remain very proud of. And uh, but I had to leave last year, as you suggest, in in two thousand and one uh, through the pandemic. I'd been tweeting about books I'd been reading and 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 putting on my Instagram social media books that uh, I, I found interesting or relevant, or some of them classics. I uh, read Mao's Little Red Book and Tolstoy's War and Peace and everything in between. One of the books I tweeted about was by American conservative, conservative journalist Andy No, who documented far-left extremism in the States over the, the last couple of years, so contemporary far-left extremism. Um, uh, namely in the, uh, or specifically rather, uh, the BLM riots of 2020, Antifa movement, 
movement and um, the the incidences involving them. For example, the 19 deaths in the first 14 days of the BLM riots, the federal courthouse in Portland under siege and, un, and on fire for months on end. And uh, this, it so happened, somehow, it's, at this point feels like a bit of an act of God, blew up uh, on on Twitter and became number one trending item for the the weekend that that um, that I tweeted it and uh, it I guess I didn't think much of it realize or I certainly didn't anticipate what was going to happen but I think I must have crossed one of those invisible trip wires and and it turned out that Antifa and and BLM are one of those totemic issues where it is taboo to criticize and or even question so uh for example in the music industry shortly after george floyd's killing everyone put up a black square with links to black lives matter the organization now this was so uh this became a picket line at such a passionately held position in the music industry that if you if you didn't post a black square, you were deemed to be against the movement. An example of of how of how uh, one might say insane this situation was that it was a band called Hanson. You might remember, and they famously had a song go bap, bap, bap. I think it's called Mbap. They didn't exist. They'd broken up and 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 so didn't post a black square because they didn't exist, and their fans were so upset that they didn't that the band had to get reform just to apologize for not having posted a black square. So you get a sense of the climate. So uh, I didn't quite realize this. And um, this book got me, that I tweeted about, got me in, in trouble. And uh, long story short, I had to quit the band. Um, the band were getting in trouble. Radio sessions were saying they weren't gonna, weren't gonna play the music. I was dropped from a DJ, uh, DJing at a festival in the UK and all this backlash for essentially having the wrong opinion. And um, and so now that I sacrificed my, uh, my job there, I've seen it almost as my duty to speak out on totem totemic taboo topics. This has included anti-Semitism, um, this has included Israel and Palestine. This has included and continues to be BLM, as I mentioned, and Antifa. Uh, but there are other issues like the trans debate now is, is one of those issues. Uh, env environmentalism is, is one of those issues. I just had Michael Schellenberger, who, uh, author of, of Apocalypse Never, former Democrat, um, California gubernatorial candidate, uh, come and speak about um environmentalism that that seems to be one of the topics you mustn't criticize greta thunberg of course matron saint of uh, eco anxiety as far as i can tell and uh, so anyway i now have a podcast called martial matters with the spectators a british political magazine i think it's actually the oldest political magazine in the world uh, oldest continually running it's about 200 years old and um uh, ironically a very respectful magazine given how uh, in the, within the music industry, my opinions were so uh, uh, anathema and unpopular, but actually in, in uh, normal society, apparently not so much. Um, so I've been exploring those uh, topics now, and I still continue 
to make music. I've just um, I'm just at the end of a U.S. run performing songs. Uh, I've been in California and New York and Arizona, and I'm now in Georgia uh, playing playing some of the songs I've written over the last uh, 15 years and having a great time doing it. That's great to hear. So from from what you tell us, I, uh, I it seems that you haven't so much uh, realized that you were you, you didn't so much choose to speak up in a so-called politically incorrect way, but it it happens with without realizing it, and it had big consequences for you. Is that correct? I think that's fair to say. Yeah, I, I hadn't given it much thought, but now. I'm in such a position where I, I really it would be stupid not to speak my mind, and and I do think a lot of people self censor. There is a there is a serious climate of self censorship at the moment. I know so because I've had hundreds, if not thousands, of private messages of people, not just in the creative industries, but across society, saying they can't speak their mind on the list of topics I just listed earlier, and um and so I do think there's a there's a responsibility to those people, people in my position should should be addressing those topics because if we can't then no one can um and uh yeah i mean even in anti-semitism look i i, I had one interviewee i had on my show was tracy ann oberman and i think you should invite her on your show she's wonderful she's a british actress jewish and she describes to me and she, she's already written about this and i think it was in the jewish jewish chronicle but she describes to me in the interview how when it came to Israel, Palestine, when whenever that issue has flared up in the public imagination in Britain or in the West, for whatever reason, Jews, regardless of what they actually think about Israel, Palestine, they not may, they might not be in favor of you know Israel. They might not even be Zionist, but they feel like they have to keep quiet about their background and their, their identity uh, because people make assumptions about them and um uh they, they, they've even experienced and she describes political purity tests in theater and drama in the uk where in whatever you'd have reading rooms i'm not quite sure how it works but these topics come up instead of work instead of going through the script instead of actually working on their craft they're having these political conversations because because people feel like they need to bring up the politics at work so often now. And they're scared to speak their mind because it's such a, a divisive issue, I guess. Anyway, that's, that's an example of, of what's going on in the creative industries. Wow. I think, that, let me just say that's a good lead into this question that I wanted to ask you. Because although you have a Jewish mother, you identify as uh, being a Christian. So are you... The recipient of anti-Semitic remarks at work or privately? If so, what's happened and what's been your reaction? So uh, my um, my I was raised by a Catholic mother and a Protestant father. My mother's mother was a Holocaust survivor, oh. and um, they were Jews from Transylvania who left late late nineteen forty two and escaped first. They went through from, uh, sorry, through Germany. I have her diaries documenting the whole thing. She'd have been about 13, 14, 15. And they went through Germany and Switzerland, eventually to France and then to Portugal for the remainder of the war. Uh, uh, and after the war, settled in 
Paris. So my mother's French Catholic uh, and, and she was raised first Catholic. And there's a whole other story there about my family and it's and why the history of our, our faith and, and religion tied in with the ethnic. It's it's complicated. The 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 best way I have of describing it briefly is is to um is to uh, reference uh, Sir Tom Stoppard's play Leopoldstadt. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this play, but it 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 shows a Jewish family in Austria and it covers them through the generations from the turn of the century through the first war, second war, and then and then after and, and as well as dealing with the the, the difficulties of of memory, uh, repressed memories, um, false memories, and and the like, I think which is Freudian in some respects, in some respects, but uh, it, that he also um, deals with why some Jewish families well, the, in in that in that play the family you know the the sons will have brisses and baptisms, and and I've read and, the play. You've read the play, and and part of a part of the reasons for that is complicated. But part of the reasons for that, which I've never fully un understood until seeing that play, is is that before the war and at various times in history, Jews have wanted to be a part of society, and so take on these cultural um, uh, rituals or, or even religious rituals, but as a way of trying to assimilate. Although, of course, that hasn't gone very well um uh so that that that's that that play actually really it's all it's it's so similar to my family except that mine were from hungary and what is now romania because transylvania became romania exactly. after the war exactly and uh, yeah so and but they so then they ended up in um in, in france and eschewed their jewish cultural background though that they of course they were jews they were zelingers davidovich and um, they, but they changed their name to hide their um, Jewishness, uh, which I, I know other families like that. It's not an uncommon story. No. Um, so I was raised uh, uh, Catholic, Protestant, um, but I'm British as well. And um, uh, so to anti the second half of your question, I think was that's just a bit of background. Me, but uh, the second half of your question is to uh, r remind me: Is it about uh, anti-Semitism in the music industry? Uh, forgive no, me. No, directed directly at you. Uh, uh, have I experienced anti-Semitism? Right. I uh, have certainly. I'm very sensitive to seeing anti-Semitism. I have experienced anti-Semitism, although I I was rather surprised that the person. I, I was working. It, it wasn't an. It was a. It was. A, it was a tricky experience because I was working at a food bank in the in the pandemic, and there was. And when you when you work at food banks, you you you. you there's a lot of people who you know really struggling and really suffering, and and so you, and you have some people with mental ill health. And I think that there was what there was one person who uh, was yeah. A, 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 I, I would say probably an alcoholic, not very well. And he, he, I don't know how he could have known that I was, I had a Jewish background, but he came in and there was a black girl next to me and we were working and he goes to her, he starts berating her of the N-word. And then he goes to me, we should have finished you off in the showers and, uh, you know, and just, and, and, and using other anti-Semitic tropes. And I don't, I, I mean, I don't know, what I, I wasn't wearing a kipper <laughs> so I don't know quite how he 
knew that about my family history, but I obviously got triggered by that because 13 members of my family, my grandmother's cousins and aunts and uncles were killed in Auschwitz, in the death marches and, 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 and in other camps. So it, it was quite uh, shocking to me. And of course, it was also shocking what he said. To, but to be honest, uh, outside of that, I haven't explicitly experienced anti-Semitism. Uh, Phyllis, you raise your hand. What did you, what did you say when the person said it? Well, it's a very um, tricky thing when you're in a food bank because people are suffering and, and it's not... Although my blood boiled and I was ready to hit the guy, uh, I contained it and I said, I gave him a warning. I said, take that back or the police will be here shortly. And uh, but he he just wasn't of sound mind. So uh, he he just he was just getting angry. And then I had to protect him from the the other woman who were there. So we we basically had to kind of shoulder him out um, without with, with in a loving way as well because it was run by a church it, it's there's some tricky dynamics to run in a in a food bank like that and and you have to be loving you you know it's uh, there's without without it being accepting of what he said but anyway it was it was a, it was a tricky situation but um but it de-escalated let's put it like that um, it's great it's great that you managed to say something, you know, when your blood is boiling and you you are in in, in an environment where you cannot unlimited uh, have uh, your own reaction that you would prefer, I think it's uh, it's a great accomplishment accomplishment that you managed to say something, you know. Yeah, I think I mean he could have it. If it if it had continued to escalate, when you're this is a side point, but if you in that situation, your duty is to de-escalate conflict, yeah. and, and it's it's not a normal situation to be in because also remember we were in the pandemic. There was high stress, surrounded by a lot of poor families who were who were who were stressed, and so you've also got to be an example. Everyone everyone can see each other what's going on, and so. You have to focus big picture about about de-escalation. Um, uh, so it's, it, it's it's but but maybe that's a good example for everyday life. I, I I'm not sure, but I I think it probably would have gone differently had it not been at a food bank. But 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 that's maybe again maybe it was a good thing that it, it de-escalated. It was a good thing it de-escalated as it as it did. Yeah. That's the only time I've experienced anti-Semitism directly. Although I've seen a lot of anti-Semitism. Particularly in the music industry, and um, I, I have had friends on the on the on the receiving end of anti-Semitism. Um, we uh, at the time of the clear example of this at the time of Black Lives Matter in, uh, in June 2020, um, there was a lot of anti-Semitism tied up with that. And famously, one of the famous examples was the American rapper Ice Cube tweeting. The Mere One mural. The, if you're not familiar with this uh, mural, it's a sort of graffiti mural by an artist called Mere One, and it's 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 you, you, uh, it's a trope. I think it's a bunch of um, elderly men with you know Jewish tropes in their features over a monopoly board on the top of, uh, uh, I guess, 
I, I can't remember exactly, but sort of slaves and, and um, uh, in, anyway, it's it it was the same mural that Jeremy Corbyn, former leader of the British Labour Party, initially compliment, complimented. Then I think he criticised it, but said he had a right to free speech, and then eventually was forced to condemn it properly. It's the same year on, and Ice Cube tweeted that, and it got, I think, 50,000 likes or something. And uh, Louis Farrakhan is tied in with some of those guys. You, you'll see them link, and, and he's he's the head of um, Nation of Islam in America, which and he's a history of anti-Semitism, not hard to dig up. Um, and then in Britain, there was a rapper called Wiley, who went on a huge anti-Semitic tirade uh, so it was a bizarre sort of he was running around London live streaming the whole thing blurting out just disgusting anti-Semitic stuff and, and it, within that he even named some Jewish friends of mine and um, and then and then actually just to full circle on that we've got um, just recently Kanye West has been making some very anti-Semitic statements and and so there there is there has been a little bit now i i wouldn't say kanye west has got anything to do with blm um so i'm uh i'm not uh linking blm the organization directly with anti-semitism but i i would say that there is an anti-semitism problem in the music industry for sure and i i already described what tracy ann Oban, the british jewish actress had to deal with but uh i i i I also uh, get, get a greater sense of self censorship by Jews in the creative industry, and, and I and I know this because earlier this year I published a piece for the Jewish Chronicle um, about a band called Big Thief, um, the bassist of whom is Israeli. When they had planned to, they'd booked two shows in Tel Aviv, I think, and then withdrew the shows because BDS had got to them somehow, and. I I, um, I wrote about this piece, condemning PDS, BDS, and um, the various anti-Israel anti organizations set up by musicians and artists, and there are a few and and very popular groups. And after publishing, the amount of private messages I got from people within the industry saying thank you for speaking because I can't I can't say it. So there's a there's a self censorship that's going on, certainly. Uh, uh, when it comes to anti-Semitism, when it comes to Israel and Palestine in the music industry, and and Winston, is there um, is the BDS movement active in uh, in the industry? Does it have an influence there? Yeah. So uh, just for reference, uh, there's a group called Musicians for Palestine, which launched in 2021. It's an anti-Israel collective of over 600 members, a total of. 1,524 signed the Artist Pledge for Palestine, vowing to boycott Israel. That was also in 2021. Artists for Palestine UK, a group advocating for cultural boycott of the Jewish state, enjoys the support of Brian Eno, Roger Waters, Ken Loach, and over 1,500 others. So there are several groups uh, tied in with these. Uh, sorry, there are many artists who support these uh, anti-Israel groups. Um, I would I would say I would argue that some of them, and I've just mentioned Roger Waters, have uh, it's 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 not just anti-Israel that it's anti-Semitic, and 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 um, 
because it's of course illeg- legitimate to be critical of the behavior of of the of Israel of the Israeli state um yeah. but i would say that a lot of these people go a lot further and um they expli- explicitly support bds now i've experienced bds firsthand myself How? Uh, a friend of mine Baba Mal, who happens to be Muslim from Senegal. He's like the Bruce Springsteen of Senegal. He, everyone in Senegal knows who he is. And if you ever meet a Senegalese, wherever you are in the world, if you want to see them smile, sing them a Baba Mal song. Like this guy, is, he's king of king of Senegal and and uh, a great friend. And he actually sang at my wedding. And, and um, he booked a show in, he booked a, a couple of shows in Jerusalem. I forget what year this was, but maybe five years ago. And as soon as he announced, I was getting phone calls from BDS activists saying, put me in touch with Baba Mal. We've got to make sure he doesn't do this show. Firstly, the BDS activists assumed I would agree with them that Baba shouldn't do the show. Uh, secondly, they assumed, well, firstly, I had uh, 30. Well, secondly, they assume um, that uh so, well I, I i don't know how i don't know how they got my number but they got my number so you what what is, was clear for about that incident for me is is how they they work they they do they come after the artists and they scare them they and and they bully them actually there's a superb uh, there's a great artist called nick cave who who's very brave and actually like me i think he's one of very few other artists to talk about antifa and far left extremism and criticize them he said about bds that bds made him want to play israel because he doesn't like to be bullied and that's what bds are they're bullies they don't accept israel as a state they they say this fairly explicitly on their website they say we don't advocate for a, a, a one or two state solution and um uh, they uh, they don't acknowledge the right for Israel to exist, and um, uh, so Nick Cave had the, the courage to stand up to uh, BDS. Uh, but more often than not, I would say BDS are successful. And what what happens, and this is classic, it happens year on it happens year on year. A huge artists will an- will announce a show in Israel. They may even do the show for charity, as Big Thief did, American-based band, with, uh, who I've already mentioned with the Israeli bassist. They, they, the, the money to be raised for Palestinians, Palestinian charities. And actually, I think that's a great way to do it. Um, uh, and um, it's not without its problems, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a good start. And um, usually, often that's the case. And then BDS come after them. The artists cancel and then they do make a groveling apology saying they'll learn, they have to learn more. They need to listen more or something like that. And it's very, it's completely cringeworthy at this point. So um, they, it's a cliche they, actually. So they turn the public expressions of the artist into apologies for uh, performing in Israel uh, and uh, because they didn't know enough about about the, the the problems there well quite but i mean who are we kidding like okay uh, uh, i'm not saying that these artists are geniuses but they're 
if you're going to be a successful artist, you're probably fairly smart within your domain at least. And there's no way that they're going to get booked or that their booking agent is going to say, look, you can do Israel, but you're going to get some pushback. Yeah. You know you're going to get pushback. Yeah. So they announce it. They've done a lot of thinking already. They thought yeah. about it. They thought about what we're going to do this. So for them to suddenly have this turnaround, it's it's what what changes, right? It's not that they've done more thinking. No, what's happened is the BDS are trying to create a media shitstorm for them, create a PR disaster so they look bad and spook them. Out, out of playing and it's yeah. it's it's absolutely classic i mean destroy their sure brand destroy their brand exactly yeah i, I want to give a plug for the creative community for peace here in la i went to the gala a few weeks ago because they do uh, they apparently started 10 years ago because of anti-semitism in the music industry mm. so we do have some effort on the other side that's true but it's not enough it's just not enough that's true. And 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 I, I forget which organization he's from, but I believe Gene Simmons of KISS is, is involved with uh, a, 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 it's not, I'm not sure it's pro, it's just pro-Israel, but I think it's pro-Israel and pro-Palestine organizations. It's certainly a more centrist or a more um, uh, conciliatory organization. Uh, than these explicitly anti-Israel organizations. So I, 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 sh I shouldn't paint a picture that it's completely uh, uh, dominated by anti-Israel. There's certainly some pro-Israelis, but I would say the majority are anti-Israel and that there's a, there's a pretty strong groupthink on the issue, which is quite surprising because there's a lot of Jewish people work in the music industry. Um, but I think that those Jewish people are being forced to self-censor. And this, does this have a, a big uh, effect on the opinion of the audience, you think? Is the audience becoming more anti-Israel or anti-Jewish because the artists are, you think? That's an excellent question. It's 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 hard to know, but I think I would imagine that that's split by generation. So different generations have different um, group think on it. Uh, I would say the younger generation, let's say 15 to 25, are probably majority uh, pro-Palestine, anti-Israel. And um, But I'd also say that Israel-Palestine is such a complicated issue that anyone who tells me they understand Israel and Palestine, I know immediately that they do not understand Israel and Palestine because it's it's it takes... It takes pretty smart people to come close to even understanding it because yeah. it's such an ancient problem and conflict. And um, uh, it's not something that's easily understandable. So um, uh, given that it's so complex and most people who are forced or force themselves into having an opinion on so many issues, given it's so complex, I think a lot of the thinking is outsourced as I'm guilty of doing that in my own ways and in different topics, they outsource to people that they respect or admire. A lot of the time that is musicians, so uh, artists. And, and so those people do have, uh, do have a sway, do have a, a, an influence and, um, and uh, it, it can affect it. But I, I certainly have, I felt personally that uh, Israel, Palestine, in, within the creative industries, it's it's uh, 
it's pretty anti-Israel. That has been my personal experience, but I might be swayed there by availability heuristic, by confirmation bias, or rather just uh, what what I'm hearing. And, and okay, I'm not sure. And Winston, a few weeks ago, you interviewed in your podcast the American black activist Candace Owens uh, mm-hmm. about Kanye or Ye West. Um, she knows him well, and she said she doesn't know him uh, as an anti-Semite. But if we leave Kanye's intentions aside and just look at his words and what he literally said about the Jews, do you think his words his words will stimulate anti-Semitism in a large amount of people? Well, that's a good question. So uh, amongst other uh, anti-Semitic statements he made, he said he was going to go death con three on Jewish, all Jewish people, I think is the quote. He linked black abortions to Jewish record label managers uh, and made the classic trope of linking Jews to uh, controlling media. Will he have an effect? Well, there was some signage on a highway. Someone made some sort of banner um, anti-Semitic banner, I forget the exact thing, in Los Angeles. Was yeah. it Los Angeles? Somewhere That's in California. Los Angeles on uh, 40, 405. It said Kanye was right. You don't right. know how they, what name they used for him, but was right. So he certainly had an impact, but he's also lost a lot. Adidas dropped him, which has cost him one and a half billion gap have stopped stocking his trainers, sneakers, Yeezys, and various other partners, um, I think JP Morgan and others have said they will stop working with him. So there's been a backlash, to say the least. Will he have a big impact on society? It's hard to tell. His The condemnation he's received maybe not specifically from the music industry, but certainly from his partners and wider society. It seems to me that he's not going to get an unchecked support. <laughs> uh, he certainly already hasn't. I, I couldn't possibly say whether he'll get um, large, large support. I, I haven't got a good um, sense on on whether the people at home are quietly nodding, thinking, yeah, Kanye was right. I don't, I don't think so, but it's, I, 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 it's hard to, hard to know. I would just like to say that one of the things that we've been talking about is that word control and that in answering anti-Semitic comments that we need it to find a way to say, yes, Jews have prominent or leadership positions in some industries. And in many cases, there are historic reasons such as the film business, Jews were willing as immigrants to take uh, the risk. But having leadership positions does not mean control, because clearly control is usually used with a malicious intent, like whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's something that perhaps you could give us insight as to how we could all kind of answer when people say, oh, Jews control the music industry. Do you have any hints for how we can deal with that? Yeah, well, there's several problems. Let's just let's just break down the trope. Firstly, it assumes that the Jew, the Jewish people, the Jews, are, are all working as one, an organized people, uh, uh, um, 
and of course they're a culture and they're an ethnos but then they're, they're not an organized group uh um if it ignores the fact that millions of Jews are poor and working people and don't have any control of anything. Um, uh, but then also you, you, it's quite normal to see different ethnic groups thriving in different particular fields. And there's many reasons for that. And it's not because of control it's because maybe natural talent or natural interest. And, um, uh, you know, for example, I, I, I forget, there's the, 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 the winners of the long distance marathon runners over the, for a, a decades now have all come from a very specific spot in uh, the Eastern uh, Highlands of Africa. Now that's not to say that the people from the eastern highlands of africa are controlling the 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 marathon running no it just happens that they are talented in that particular task or, or that particular skill um and um so yeah you you've said it exactly right like how do you lump jump from that to control and 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 the control that word implies something pernicious something malicious and um uh it's um it's it, it it kind of falls apart i think as soon as you actually start to apply critical thinking yes and one of the things we've been thinking about is saying to people who say that well what do you mean by control and kind of staying calm and asking that and seeing if they can define it so that we can then calmly say exactly the, the very insightful things that you said about not one monolith and what you know we need to get them to actually say what they mean because they're just frequently just repeating a trope so that we can answer it. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, there's, this is well, perhaps I'll get into territory that's uh, more contentious. But when in 2016, 2017, I was living in America, I was living in New York, and this this phrase white privilege kept coming up again and again. And it really rubbed me the wrong way uh, because it, well, it assumed that all what they said, white, white male privilege, they're all dominating in these fields, ignoring, of course, the white homeless men on the street. And um, uh, it, but why it particularly irked me was because this was the same thing that was being said of the Jews in the 20s and 30s in Germany that, oh, look at look at these Jewish people, they're dominating and they're controlling in these fields because what people are doing is they're, they're taking, they, they're just taking a, a, a substrata within a group and then associating them with the top uh, positions, but ignoring everyone else within the group and, and whatever struggles they might be having and wherever they are, wherever, wherever they are in whatever careers they are, they happen to be at. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's a, it's a very cheap, uh, low resolution thinking, I think that goes it's behind. Generalization. It's a generalization. Yeah. 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 Evelyn, do you want to ask one more question as our time is coming uh, to an end and we want to give Winston a chance to say last thoughts? He's been so elegant. I hate to cut this off, but 
we want to make it a link that people will be happy to listen to. So, go ahead, Evelyn. So, um, do you have any recommendations, Winston, for listeners who want to speak up against anti-Semitism in the music industry or elsewhere? Well, the first thing I recommend is um, that uh, fortify yourself. Um, make sure you understand the topics and the literature and that it's complex stuff. Go into it gracefully um, because we, we want to remember that the people with anti-Semitic opinions they might hold those opinions, but they are humans and they just need to be uh, corrected and 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 uh, or their bad thinking needs to be corrected. And that so if you can go into it with an element of love and grace or let that be the starting point point anyway. Um, and that's and that's worth remembering because it's very easy to get upset and angry on, on this on this topic. So going into it trying not to be upset and angry and 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 realizing that we all make mistakes that we've got our own blind spots and and we might not see everything and actually if it's tied into palestine and israel that's like a very difficult topic and trying to understand the plight of the palestinians is a really important part of that and i think that that shows goodwill um in in uh, coming it from from um another angle and then specific things to do uh try and find organizations that represent uh, your opinions that you feel like you can get behind and find um reach out to people don't be scared to reach out to people you admire you know a lot of people have their their dms open on twitter i i do <laughs> and you know you can speak to people and um ask for the advice and and um look at and, and try and find people who've done it the right way and, and in the way you'd like to do it reach out to them they, they they'll i'm sure contact you and and um, the world is a lot smaller than you might think so i don't know if that's helpful but that's certainly um reaching out to people certainly helped me i think that's a really uh beautiful way to end and i we thank you so much winston really for coming on our show we thank our listeners for anyone who hasn't watched the really engrossing documentary about Evelyn, Never Again Is Now. You can see it on Amazon and YouTube. You can read more about my nonfiction Holocaust theater project at thinedgethewedge.com. And as we close every show, we say, please, without putting yourself in physical danger, speak up against anti-Semitism and all hate.